from here in the Holy Land. Welcome to the Nourish Your Biblical Roots podcast. I'm your host, Yael Eckstein, President and CEO of the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. Each week, we'll explore the Jewish roots of your Christian faith and nourish those roots with inspirational insights and ancient teachings that are so relevant to our lives today. Let's get started. The greatest gift that we can give to our children and grandchildren is a legacy of faith. In Judaism, we refer to this as Lidor Vador, which means from generation to generation. Passing on our faith from one generation to the next has always been a core value in the Jewish tradition, one that has helped preserve the Jewish people for thousands of years. A few years ago, when my father, Rabbi Echiel Eckstein, suddenly passed away, I realized how blessed I was that my father left us a rich legacy of faith. I was inspired to write a book about the teachings and values that I received from my parents and how I am now passing those same teachings on to my very own children. That book is called Generation to Generation, and it's a compilation of the lessons that I learned through the Jewish traditions that I grew up with, and a practical guide for how we can all pass on our faith to the next generation. And now, I'm thrilled to make the contents of my book available to everyone through this podcast. Over the summer, every episode of Nourish Your Biblical Roots podcast will feature the audio version of Generation to Generation. Each week, you'll hear me read a chapter in the book, and in each chapter, we'll explore a Jewish observance, the key value it reinforces, and how to transmit that value to the next generation. I think we can all agree that our children are our future. We are shaping the future of the world through the lessons that we teach our children today. I pray that this series will help you share your faith with all of the children in your life and that it enriches your own walk with God too. One of the most remarkable videos that we have of European Jews in the early 1930s is a group of children singing Hatikva, written in the late 1800s by Naftali Herz Imber, a Jewish poet from Poland. The children in the video had no idea that less than a decade later, most of them, along with their families, would be murdered by the Nazis. They also had no clue that the very song they sang would become the national anthem of a Jewish state that did not yet exist. For the Jewish people, Hatikva captures 2,000 years of exile and our hope for the future. These are the words. As long as deep within the heart a Jewish soul stirs, and forward to the ends of the east an eye looks out toward Zion— Our hope is not yet lost. The hope of 2,000 years to be a free people in our land, the land of Zion and Jerusalem. 
Two millennia of persecution could not break the Jewish spirit because of one powerful word, Hatikva, the hope. Holocaust survivor Elie Wiesel said, Just as a man cannot live without dreams, he cannot live without hope. Hope is what sustained the Jewish people through their long and bitter exile. Hope leaves room for God and his providence. Hope lets us believe that no matter how dark the world seems today, there can be a better tomorrow. The prophet Jeremiah foresaw the difficult exile and described both the bitterness and the centrality of hope. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gale. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. This is from Lamentations three nineteen to 22 If we want our children to never give up and never give in when it comes to their values and beliefs, we must teach them hope. Hope is what led the bruised and battered nation of Israel back to our homeland, and it is hope that will lead our world to the messianic era. I imagine that hope did not always come easily to the Jewish people. I grew up with a grandfather who survived the Holocaust that wiped out most of our family and one-third of the world's Jewish population. I cannot fathom how it was possible for any Jews to have hope for a future while thousands were gassed and cremated daily. It was the darkest chapter in Jewish history, and it is incomprehensible that anyone could see the light. My grandfather told me countless stories about what happened to him and his family during the Holocaust. He grew up in Germany, and when it became apparent that the Nazis intended to exterminate the Jews, his family left everything they had and fled. The family was fortunate enough to have a car, which they used to drive as far as they could to cross the border. At some point along the way, the car ran out of gas, and they were stranded. My great-grandmother stayed with my grandfather and his brother while their father went to look for gas. While he was gone, my great-grandmother and the boys heard the Nazis approaching. They waited as long as they could for my great-grandfather to return. But when the bullets got too close, they ran. They left their car, the little belongings that they had, and their father and husband behind. It was terrifying. When things eventually quieted down, they were grateful to be alive and certain that my great-grandfather had been killed in the incident. Meanwhile, my great-grandfather had been on his way to get gas for the car when he was told that the Nazis were heading in the direction of his family. He abandoned the quest for fuel and ran to find his family and bring them to a safe place. But by the time he got to the car, all he saw were shards of glass, bullets, and no sign of his family. He was certain his family had been murdered. Still, he did not give up hope that perhaps they had survived. And while my great-grandmother tried to move on without her husband, a part of her refused to give up hope that maybe, just maybe, he was alive. Each one held out to the tiniest bit of hope that the other had survived. And eventually, they found one another. These were my bedtime stories growing up. Seared into my soul is the notion that no matter how hopeless a situation looks, there is always room for hope.
Against the dark backdrop of the Holocaust, I learned to see the glimmer of light, no matter how faint, in every situation. Years later, I would hear my father compare the aftermath of the Holocaust to Ezekiel's vision of the dry bones. After the Shoah, the Jewish people were decimated. Whole communities were utterly wiped out, and along with them, hundreds of learning institutions, millions of Jewish scholars, countless cultural centers, and the security that Jews once enjoyed living in this world. How could such a decimated people go on and live again? And yet, from the ashes of the Holocaust, Israel rose to life. Just three years after World War II ended, the state of Israel was declared an independent nation. The Jewish people returned to their ancient homeland and immediately set to work to drain the swamps, make the deserts bloom, and bring back life to the Holy Land. The following decade saw a resurgence of Jewish life in Israel and around the world in countries like the United States and Canada that took in Holocaust survivors and gave them a second chance at life. By the time I was born, the Jewish state, the Israeli army, and religious freedom for Jews in most parts of the world were all givens. I never knew a time without them. Nevertheless, I also never forgot the stories I heard firsthand from my grandfather about what happened in the terrible years before. This has always been the Jewish way, to hope for the future while remembering our painful history. Once a year, my family and I would join Jews around the world in our yearly mourning for the destruction of the holy temples and every tragedy the Jews have experienced ever since on Tisha B'Av. This day has been mourned for thousands of years, for centuries during which there seemed to be no end in sight to the long and painful suffering. However, from my perspective, although I fasted as the adults did, starting when I was 12 after my bat mitzvah, and felt the sad energy of the day, I could not help but also feel a sliver of joy. Yes, we have suffered. Yes, we have faced challenges. But oh, how far we have come and how brightly God's providence has been demonstrated to his children over and over again. That ray of light amidst the darkness formed my hope for the future and a vision of redemption. It may sound strange at first, but it is on Tisha B'Av, the darkest day on the Jewish calendar, that we truly experience hope. Just as it takes the darkest skies to see the brightest stars, it is on this black day that we can experience the greatest light. Tisha B'Av, literally the ninth of Av, is the saddest day of the Jewish year. Both the first and second temples were destroyed on Tisha B'Av. With the destruction of the second temple by the Romans in 70 CE, the Jews of Israel were dispersed to the four corners of the earth, setting in motion an exile whose ramifications are still felt today. But those are not the only tragedies to occur on this date. 
on Tisha B'Av in 135 CE, the final Jewish rebellion against the Romans in the Holy Land was squelched and hundreds of Jews were brutally butchered. Exactly one year later, the Temple Mount was raised so that a pagan temple could be erected in its stead. In 1290 on Tisha B'Av, the Jews were expelled from England. In 1492 on Tisha B'Av, the Jews were kicked out of Spain. World War II and the Holocaust were the direct results of World War I, which, you guessed it, began on July 28, 1914, Tisha B'Av. On this night, Jewish communities read the Book of Lamentations, which begins Echa, literally, how can it be? We lament the dramatic change that the Jewish people underwent when they were exiled from their land and the temple was destroyed. Jerusalem, once the city of joy, had been transformed into a city of mourning. The Jewish people, once admired, esteemed, and a great spiritual people, were reduced to exiles, poor and helpless. Most tragic of all was the shattered relationship with the God of Israel. When once the Jews enjoyed a unique and powerful connection to the Lord as his chosen people, his special treasure, the apple of his eye, we cry out, how can it be? How can it be that the Jewish people went through the Holocaust, the single most devastating event in their long history of suffering? How can it be that after so many years, we still have not restored our relationship with God? How can it be that the world still has so much evil within it? As we read in Lamentations, this is why I weep and my eyes overflow with tears. In Lamentations 116. On this one day a year, we acknowledge and cry for every calamity that there has ever been. Following the Book of Lamentations, we recite elegies describing the many tragedies that have befallen the Jewish people throughout the centuries. On Tisha B'Av, we observe the laws of mourning, including sitting on low chairs, not greeting one another, and not wearing any freshly laundered clothing. In addition, Jewish adults do not eat or drink, engage in marital relations, wear leather shoes, shower, or apply soothing oils. The general atmosphere is somber, and we refrain from any physical activities that give us pleasure. However, Tisha B'Av is not all about tragedy and mourning. Through the darkness, there is a ray of light, a glimmer of hope, a glance into the future. As we mourn what we lost in the past, we look forward to what God has in store for us in the future. A story is recorded in the Talmud, which is Judaism's oral tradition, that took place after the destruction of the Second Temple on the 9th of Av, 70 CE. Rabbi Akiva and his colleagues traveled to Mount Scopus, and they witnessed the temple's destruction. They were so distraught that they tore their clothing in mourning. When they got to the temple mount itself and saw foxes running around where the Holy of Holies once stood, they cried. However, Rabbi Akiva laughed. Why are you laughing? the rabbis asked. Why are you crying? Rabbi Akiva replied. Incredulously, the rabbis explained that they were looking at the holiest place in the world, and now foxes run through it. How could we not cry? they exclaimed. That is why I'm laughing, Akiva answered. He continued, One prophet said, 
Because of you, Zion will be plowed like a field, it says in Micah 3.12. And another prophet, Zechariah, said, Once again, men of women of ripe old age will sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each of them with a cane in their hand because of their age. The city streets will be filled with boys and girls playing there. Since the words of one prophet have been fulfilled, said Rabbi Akiva, I now know that the words of the other prophet will also be fulfilled. To this, the rabbis exclaimed, You have comforted us, Akiva. You have comforted us. In the Book of Lamentations recited on Tisha B'Av, we further read in Lamentations 3.29, Let him bury his face in the dust. There may yet be hope. While we mourn on this day, it is also a day of hope. The tears that we shed on this day water the seeds of redemption. And we pray from Psalm 126.5, Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. This is why, for all of the mournful elements of the day, Tisha B'Av is officially recognized as a holiday. Lamentation 115 reads, The Lord has rejected all of my strong men in my midst. He has called an appointed time against me to crush my young men. The Hebrew term for appointed time is moed, which is reserved exclusively for describing holidays. What is there to possibly celebrate on this day? The answer is hope. According to Jewish tradition, the cherubs, the cherubs on the holy ark in the temple, represent God and Israel. When the relationship between God and Israel was strong, they faced each other. However, when it was not, they faced away from each other. And the day that the temple was destroyed, surprisingly, the cherubs were found in a loving embrace. This signified that although God destroyed the temple, he would always love Israel, feel their pain, and carry them through difficult times. He would neither destroy his people nor desert them and would accompany them into exile. Ultimately, God would return his nation to Israel, and rebuild the temple as he had promised. In Zechariah 8.19, we read, The fasts of the fourth, fifth, seventh, and tenth months will become joyful and glad occasions and happy festivals for Judah. The fast days mentioned in the verse are all connected to events that led up to the destruction of the temple on the ninth of Av. God promised that these days are destined to be transformed into holidays. In fact, Jewish tradition teaches that Tisha B'Av is also the birthday of the Messiah. The holiday quality of Tisha B'Av reminds us that ultimately, God will restore what we have lost. In other words, there is hope for the future. Mourning for the first two temples creates a yearning for the third temple and gives us hope that one day there will be a world where evil does not exist. Every year before the sun sets on the 8th of Av, our family sits down to a meal. Unlike other holiday meals, instead of dessert, we end with traditional morning food, a piece of bread with an egg dipped in ashes. The ashes symbolize the tragedies that we are about to mourn. However, the egg with its circular shape also reminds us that nothing, even the worst of times, lasts forever. 
Once the sun sets on Tisha B'Av, it begins. My husband and I bring our children to the synagogue where we mourn as a community. We leave our jewelry and leather shoes behind and wear simple clothing and shoes. At the synagogue, we enter quietly and refrain from greeting friends. We sit on the floor in darkness, and with a flashlight in hand, we follow along as the Book of Lamentations is recited aloud to the traditional melancholy tune. Naturally, when my children were old enough to understand, they asked us, why do we do all of these strange things? This provides the opportunity to teach them about hope. We teach our children that while our focus is on gratitude, contentment, and joyfulness, the rest of the year we take one day to think about and express our emotions about all the things that make us sad. We are allowed to be angry with God. We are permitted, even encouraged, to question his ways. We are allowed to be sad about the tragedies that are part of life. There is only one emotion that we cannot feel. And that is despair. Children know that we do not live in a perfect world. They see the brokenness all around them. People get sick. Unexpected disasters such as floods and fires and earthquakes occur all too frequently. There are kids that go hungry, families that are falling apart, children in Israel who must run to bomb shelters, terror attacks, hate crimes, mass shootings. The list goes on and on. But as people of faith, we believe that this is not how the world is supposed to be. We believe that we are on a journey toward a perfect world. All year round, I give my children the tools that they need in order to deal with the difficulties and challenges that they face in life. I teach them resilience, how to find the positive aspects, and to have faith in God and His plans. I teach them to pray to our Almighty God and to consider how we might help make the world a better place. On Tisha B'Av, I teach my children an entirely different lesson. I tell them that our broken world is unacceptable. It is not the way God intended our world to be, and it is not the way that things will always be. We can never get used to the way things are or settle for a less-than-perfect world. By engaging in these yearly customs of mourning, our children, no matter what age, can grasp the sense that something is not right. They can tell that people are sad, unusually sad. It is not rare that adults cry during the Tisha B'Av service. I still remember in my childhood hearing the sobbing of Holocaust survivors in the synagogue. As children get older and begin to understand the sadness that is related to the loss of the temple, they also begin to embrace the possibility of a third temple and a better world. If not for Tisha B'Av, it is highly unlikely that we would remember that there was a temple and that there will be a temple rebuilt again in Jerusalem and the significance of God's holy temple in our midst. When we teach our children that this isn't the way the world is supposed to be, we teach them that indeed there is always hope. This world will not always be broken. The temple will be rebuilt. The Messiah will come and our souls will be complete. In the scriptures we read, Return to your fortress, your prisoners of hope. Even now I announce that I will restore twice as much as you. 
This is from Zechariah 9.12. We are prisoners of hope, captive to our faith, confined by our trust in God. What a beautiful world picture to instill in our children. Hope is a foundational idea in both the Jewish and Christian faiths. In fact, it has been argued that Judaism brought the concept of hope to the world in the first place. When the biblical Abraham lived, the prevailing belief was that the gods determined man's fate. People had no control in changing their destiny. Their fate was left in the hands of the capricious gods. Abraham, however, taught of a loving God with whom anything is possible. Abraham and Sarah, who had their son Isaac at ages 90 and 100 respectively, proved that point. No matter how terrible or impossible a situation may seem, there is always room for hope. In the book of Exodus, the very foundation of the Exodus story is that the Israelites cried out to God because of their suffering. God heard and intervened. Their situation seemed hopeless, but the Israelites demonstrated that the God of Israel is a God of hope. There is no room in faith for despair. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs wrote, Despair is not a Jewish emotion. Odlo avda tikvatenu. These are the words from our Hebrew anthem of Hatikva. Our hope has never been destroyed. For there is a Jewish way of telling the story of our situation. What happens is not chance, but a chapter in the complex script of the covenant, which leads mysteriously but assuredly to our redemption. Thank you for listening to the Nourish Your Biblical Roots podcast. If you like what you have heard, visit me at mybiblicalroots.org for more of my teachings, videos, blogs, and books. You can also follow me on Instagram at yael underscore Eckstein or on Facebook at yael Eckstein. Shalom and see you next week.